Hey, welcome everybody. We're doing a Mega Powers pre-election podcast with Doc. Remember to follow me on Getter and Twitter and now Truth Social at the real underscore Big John, as well as like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And Doc, man, how the last two weeks of this election have changed. We're about, uh, what, a little over a week out, and everything is just breaking towards a Republican tsunami. (laughs) What's up on your end, bud? Well, can you hear me okay? Loud and clear, man. All right, good. Well, I got to tell you, um, there have been wave elections in the past, and then there's been wave elections. And this is going to be a tsunami. I don't think we fully understand how big this is going to be for the Republicans on November the 8th. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to win everything. That doesn't mean the Republicans are going to win everything. But they're going to make a lot of races that they lose a lot closer. They're going to win in a lot of places they had no business winning. And um, they're 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 probably going to lose. Maybe we can get into it a little bit later. I think there's going to be one that will slip away, maybe two uh, key races, at least on the governor's side, that are going to slip away. Certainly, you know, maybe one. And but we'll see. But by the end of the night, I think everyone's going to be sitting here going, "What the hell just happened?" Yeah. I've been spending a lot of my time focused on in the last couple of days in the governor's races. I've looked at the Senate races and the House races, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago in the terms of the House races, uh, Senate races, just a couple that I'm watching. Uh, you know, my my sense of it is that the Republicans are probably going to be north of 245 seats in the House. And they're at 212 now. And so people will say, oh, that was only a 30-seat pickup. That was less than what the Democrats took in 2018. Well, the Republicans are starting from a much better position. Uh, in years past, when they've picked up 60 and 70 seats, they were starting around 175 or so in 94 and in 2010. So there's going to be more, there's more opportunity to win seats and you had that big headline number. But don't forget that in 2020, the Republicans in large part, thanks to Donald Trump, picked up a dozen seats. Yeah. When they were being projected to lose anywhere between 15 and 20 seats. So I I, I think 245 is probably, you know, the sweet spot. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it got into the mid-250s at this point. 
Yeah, last time we talked, I think uh, I was I thought we were going to get over 250 just on a gut feeling I had uh, the real clear politics. And I'm a little I'm starting to get a little iffy on their polling, but their average right now, they're saying there are 225 seats that are leaning Republican or solid Republican 225. Democrats 137, and then there are or 173 for Democrats. Sorry, and then there are 37 toss-ups, and it looks like more seats have moved out of the Democrat column and into the toss-up column. If Republicans can pick up 30 of those, that makes them over 250, uh, and then. Yeah, and that's very likely. I mean, you look at these 37 toss-up seats, only four of them are Republican. Yeah. Uh, there, there's only one seat that's Republican that is into the blue camp. Only one, California 25. I don't even know where that is. I think it looks like it's around Los Angeles or something. That's a Republican seat that they're now saying is likely Democrat. And, and you, you got to understand when somebody says likely Democrat, you know, there's all these categories. I, I usually go by four. You know, there's toss up. Then I go tilt, lean, likely, and safe. A lot of a lot of places will only go, you know, toss up and then lean, likely, and safe. I like tilt. It gives you a, it, it kind of gives you a little bit of wiggle room to right. say that something is to just say it's a toss up. You think 50, 50, actually toss up is, you know, pretty much anything 60% or lower. So you could say tilt to kind of give you some room to show that it's moving in a direction. Like for example, the Oregon governor's race, <laughs> it, you know, believe it or not, there's pretty damn good chance Republicans going to win that thing. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but I've got that as tilt. Some people say it's toss up, but when you're able to put it as tilt, you can see it's kind of trending in the, in the Republican direction, which is more an accurate description than just to say toss up. Anyhow, it's a lot of inside ball game here, but the point of it is when you say something is likely, likely, you know, you're talking 80% chance. It, it's right. not quite safe, but it's pretty damn close to going to happen. You know, when you start to get into that lean category, you're looking at, you know, a floor of 65%, 70 75% more like it. Uh, and then you've got tilt, which is kind of, you know, not quite 50-50, but no further than... Okay, so it, it gets a directional thing and safe is it's going it, to, you know, it's either unopposed or it's, it's a foregone conclusion. So there's only one Republican seat, according to Real Clear Politics, that is to the left in the blue. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 20, 22 Democrat seats that are in that 
category of liens or likely, which means 75% chance, 70, 75% chance or better to win. I mean, and, and all but four are toss up. Now I, I'd like to kind of take a look to see if a lot of these are liens or I should say tilts in the toss up camp. But let's say, you know, the Republicans take, you know, 30 of the, like you were saying, take, take 30 of those. That's 255. I wasn't quite with you a couple of weeks ago when we did this, when you were saying 255. I was kind of down at that 243, 245. Now I think that's a floor. That's how you started this off by saying the last two weeks there's been a, a shift. I would say that, this, that the, the fundamentals have, have been there for this to happen, but we're now seeing it. And that's a separate conversation of why we're seeing it now and not earlier when it was there earlier. I think there's some funny business going on in the polling business industry writ large. There are some good polls out there to follow, but some of these are, bo- are just bogus. But the fact of the matter is we're seeing it now. And I think 245 is probably 243, 245 is probably the floor. And think about that. In the last 100 years in the federal house, the Republicans have never broke that 243, 245 ceiling. 100 years. (laughs) So you can sit here and tell me, oh, you only picked up 30 seats. And I'll tell you, well, we're at the highest level we've been in in a century. And this is just two two years after the incumbent party in power got 81 million votes. <clears throat> Supposedly. In the, in the presidential election. Right. This, I think you uh, bring up a good point. If Republicans, let's say, get that 245 ba- basement floor, the or ground level floor, maybe I don't know, whatever. <clears throat> if we only hit that, the media will say, "Oh, well, you know, Don, Donald Trump, this and you know, people saw the light there at the end and di- didn't vote completely Republican." But you've got multiple women, minorities uh, running in the Republican camp. Uh, Black voters are about at 21% leaning Republican this year. That's up more than double from the 10% we were at in like 2016 amongst Blacks. Uh, This is crazy. I think the voters, the American electorate, it's no longer black hispanic women asian whatever have to vote for this group uh this party and the white males have to vote republican and all these stereotypes of the electorate are out the window and people have awakened not woke awakened and seen what the democrats are doing and it they're playing to an extremely left far left base but they're definitely not talking about the issues that matter to people uh the the consultants the carl roves told republicans just campaign on i'm not joe biden and the republicans that i'm watching in these debates 
uh, and I've watched several, Herschel Walker versus Warnock, the New York governor, uh, the Ohio Senate race, of course, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's debate. Uh, all of these debates, the Democrat candidate runs on, I'm not Donald Trump or I'm not a Republican. Uh, and the Republicans are speaking on issues. They're not out there going, well, hey, I'm not Joe Biden. They're not doing really a referendum on Biden. They're doing a referendum on the entire Democrat platform and saying, hey, look, the economy's screwed up because of this, this, and this. Inflation is here because of this, this, and this. And we've got a border crisis and fentanyl crisis. And the Democrats are ignoring all of these things and talking about legalizing more drugs, talking about less security down at the border, talking about raising taxes, uh, raising the price of gasoline is, hey, that's all right. Not to mention the price of gas came down 30 cents this week. Look at the price of diesel. It's up, way up over $5. And that's what brings your food to the store and everything else. But the Democrats are going, well, we're not Republicans. We're not Donald Trump. And Republicans are like, look, who cares? These are the issues. And the American people are listening to the issues. And the Republicans are resonating with the American people on the issues. They're on the right side of the issues this time. Uh, just as if, you know, in 2018, um, and I think there was, you know, a lot of side issues into why 2018 turned out the way that it did. Um, actually, it could have been and should have been a lot worse for the Republicans. Uh, they did lose the House, uh, but that was mostly due to Paul Ryan and some yeah. pretty poor, poor leadership and poorly run campaigns. But they should have lost the Senate. But uh, Trump came in and did a blitz uh, to save the Senate for the Republicans in 2018. Uh, but but uh, the, the point the point of it is the, the issue, you know, moving aside on some other items we could talk about in another podcast about what made 2018. Uh, happened the way that it did healthcare was a big thing and the republicans had uh promised for a you know eight years the better part of a decade to repeal and replace obamacare and they floundered uh, they raised millions of dollars off of repealing and replacing obamacare they ran candidates all over the country in all sorts of races promising to repeal and replace. Paul Ryan said, "I we have a plan. And, of course, the Republicans kept moving the goalposts on this. You know, first it was, well, we don't have the Congress. We can't stop this. Then it was, well, we only have the House. Then it was, well, we, we don't have the presidency. Then once they had everything, the House, the Senate, and the presidency— in 2017, Trump said, okay, give me a plan and I'll back it. You pass it, I'll sign it. And the Republicans couldn't even clear that hurdle. And, of course, we all know that John McCain sank the whole thing for vindictive political reasons in the Senate by one vote. But there were an, another Republican, I think, 
Susan Collins or Murkowski or somebody voted against it too. But the, the point the point here is that became an issue in 2018, and yes. the Republicans were on the wrong side of it. Uh, you know, pre-existing conditions and that whole narrative spun out of control, and we really saw how feckless Paul Ryan was. He is not a policy wonk. He is a man of very limited uh, political acumen, and uh, it showed. And they paid the price in the House, anyhow, on that one. Uh, though there were some, you know, pretty funny seats in California, specifically where they have a unique way of voting. Uh, that came in, you know, days after the election and in mass numbers, and they all went Democrat, but whatever. Uh, I think you could make the point that, you know, they were on the wrong side of the issue. And the Democrats, you know, giving you a little bit of a history lesson, the Democrats are now on the wrong side of not just one issue. They're on the wrong side of multiple issues. And and the, not only are they on the wrong side of multiple issues, but they have poor candidates. They have a horrible president. They have an even worse vice president. There is no national message. The only thing saving them is the news media campaigning for them as they cower in their basements again, like they did in 2020 under the, of course, then the auspices of COVID. Um, they're not running campaigns. No. And and the issues that they are talking about, January 6th, climate change and abortion, and while those are all important issues for various reasons for a lot of different people, those aren't the issues people are concerned about right now. They're concerned about gas, groceries, and and the border, uh, you know, and the, the economy writ large. And that is by far uh, out in front in, in the lead. You know, abortion may come in at three or four, but it's so far behind one and two or one, it doesn't even matter. Last poll I saw, when it came to how important uh, abortion was to your uh, voter, it was like 5%, and inflation and the economy were like almost at 50%, like in the 40s and 30s each. It's the number one issue, and um, amongst that number one issue and the many different issues coming from that, the Republicans all have double-digit wins. Yes. You know, assuming you leads double-digit leads. Assuming that you believe 2020 was completely above board, uh, Joe Biden enjoyed a significant lead by the voters on a wide range of polls on his ability to combat the coronavirus, and that was the number one that became. It's a very unique situation that became more important than the economy. Well, Joe Biden is president of the United States. If for no other reason than people thought that he could lead us out of the pandemic and that everything else, he would just return to normal. That hasn't been the case. Uh, You know, looking back on it, Trump did a pretty good job managing us through the pandemic. Didn't get credit for a lot of things. Um, but Biden came in and immediately everything became political, masks, uh, vaccines, mandates, you know, lockdowns continued. It just it, it didn't get any better. It, it got quieter. Yeah. Maybe people could co- could cope because you had a president that 
was, you know, just ba- you know, to be nice about it, disengaged. So he wasn't making noise and the media calmed down. And that's, you know, one thing that people were looking for is just for things to calm down. Uh, Trump is, is a lightning rod and played into the media thing. Um, and people got wore out. But now they're looking at this and they're going, yeah, yeah COVID's over. You, you know, you, screw, you, you we're not really happy with how it went uh, for various reasons. But now you've screwed everything up so bad that the economy's messed up. I mean, it is it is more than a one-two punch. This is a one, two, three, four, five punch. Um, th- this is the, the American people have had a belly full of the last two years. And what's worse than taking positions on issues that are not where the American people are is is not talking about those issues. I think the Democrats would be just better served. They would could mitigate this disaster in a lot of places if they would just defend their record. I mean, they they talked up the American Rescue Plan. They talked up all this climate stuff that they did, all these bills they passed in the last six months or so on top of some other things that they did. But they haven't talked about it since Dobbs, since the abortion thing. And they told us the inflation would go down, the economy would get better, and it hasn't. But you still should defend it. They're not. They're, they're not. They're. They're not even defending their record. They're just trying to talk about something else, and they're going to pay a price for this at the polls. This is not what the American people thought they were getting. This is not what their voters thought they were getting. Uh, the Democrats' own voters, uh, when they went all in on a guy who couldn't even win a primary in the Dem- Joe Biden didn't win the Democrat primary. Everyone else quit. Right. There, wasn't, there wasn't anybody else left to run, but Bernie and, and everyone else got out of the way. So, so this guy has never proved his weight Biden to, to do, to accomplish anything. It, it has literally been handed to him. And all he had to do was not F it up. And in the immortal words of President Barack Obama, don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. And that's exactly (laughs) what he's done here. He would be at a 60% approval rating had he just passed a coronavirus relief package, which they did, passed an infrastructure plan, and laid off of everything else. Oh, well, I mean, and pass a budget. And laid off everything else. None of this other crap that they got involved in and started to talk about. His approval, his approval rating would be at 60%. He would have pissed off his base, but they would have come back and voted for him. Some people may have lost their leadership positions. Could have been, you know, they would have lost some seats here or there, but he would have been personally popular and could have potentially saved the Senate or likely saved the Senate, potentially saved. I mean, do you know how this map for the Democrats in the Senate is so favorable to the Democrats? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a, a map that should be blue it as be, can be. It, well, let's just say it should be a draw. Maybe the Republicans pick up a seat. 
but it should be a draw. The Democrats should have control of the Senate. After they, This is a perfect map for them. But they've managed to mess this up. I could make a pretty good case for the Democrats off of the legislation that they passed. They're not even bothering with it. They're talking about January 6th, abortion, and climate change. <laughs> okay. I mean, um, what, yeah, what, what does January 6th matter anymore? It was a bad day. It was a riot. And people that screwed up and acted stupid are being punished, some without even a trial. But it's like, move on with it. It was well, not an yeah. attempt to overthrow the government by but any stretch. Yeah. Even the low information voter, John, is is over it. You know, they, they may still get pissed. They may be upset. They may still even some blame Trump. But by and large, they're over it because they can't get baby formula. Gas is $4.50 a gallon. And they can't find the stuff they need at the stores. It takes them an extra two weeks to even get anything in the mail for delivery. I mean, the list goes on and on. January 6th doesn't matter. And they also know that it's a bogus thing, what's happening. Yeah, that whole scam is to try and find something you can use against Trump so he can't run again. But on January 1st next year, that doesn't matter anymore. That, that committee's gone. That whole ruse is gone. And the Democrats have nothing. And to prove it, and to prove it, and and to prove it, Trump is the most popular politician in America right now. Right. He's he's beating Joe Biden. He's he's beating any Democrat for the presidency. Now, this is a guy that we are told colluded with Vladimir Putin to steal the 2016 election is a corrupt and immoral business person and person in general, tried to blackmail foreign leaders to dig up dirt on his political opponents, mm -hmm. told people to ingest bleach to cleanse themselves of COVID, and mismanaged the single biggest crisis the country's faced in the last quarter century uh, and was responsible for 500,000 deaths, and by the way, caused an insurrection at the Capitol and divided the country more than anything anybody has ever done, he's still leading in the polls. Yeah, the and the, the best thing is all of that was media. Everything you just said was media bullshit. Right. <laughs> but go ahead yeah. and finish. No, no, that's it. Yeah, th that's the media narrative. And the American people are hearing this, and they're saying, we still want to vote for him. It's that old adage, and, and the, the economy, stupid. And the reason they want to vote for him is that, John, the, the, the American people know, even the anti-Trumpers, they know that what Trump did to set up late 2018 and through to 2019 and into 2020, an economy that was humming. This wasn't this bullshit, 
that we had to live under with Obama for eight years that saw a semi-recovery, but then a malaise for eight years. And we were told this is now the new normal. Get used to it. Trump came in and changed the trade deals, made us energy independent, put the American worker and the middle class at the negotiating table to reignite our manufacturing prowess in this country to get people back to work so they don't have to go out and code or change <laughs> or, or change their code. career or work at McDonald's or work on robots or unfortunately go on public assistance and get addicted to prescription drugs and meth and likely overdose on fentanyl. That that's what's happening to the great working class in the so-called rust belt of the country. Yeah, and that that brings me to people like this idiot Fetterman who was a moron before he had a stroke. Uh you know, he wants to go after the oil and gas companies that were reviving the rust belt, that were reviving his state Frickin' Pennsylvania was Saudi Arabia before there was a Saudi Arabia. People forget that. It uh, still is a Saudi Arabia. There's a shit ton of oil and natural gas under Pennsylvania. And the Democrats and liberal uh, trust fund baby brats like Fetterman want to uh, attack the oil companies that are saving America. What the hell? You know, well, it yeah. I mean, they're they're clueless. They're you know, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of their cluelessness. And this is why they're going to lose uh, historic uh, levels of of elections this year. Well, yeah, and you know, the other day, uh, President Biden, when he should have been sitting down with the oil companies or the energy sector. And he decides to have a, a sit-down interview with a transvestite that it, it, even transvestites don't like. Yeah, <laughs> this, that, that's upset a lot of people. Uh, it's upset a lot of women. Uh, this individual is, you know, they, they played a video. It's hard to believe. And I won't get into the details because it's a family program. But they played a video of this individual talking about it's day 200 of being a woman what what's this tampon thing all about yeah this is what our president is supposedly thinking about and, the, uh, and there's there's the president of the united states such as he is sitting in the east room of the white house uh, with a video like this playing and and what's you know the sensitivity of the topic and the inappropriateness of the topic to be discussed in that forum is one thing. The fact that there's a, a man trying to talk about this, identifying as a woman and making a mockery out of femininity and, and what it means to be a female is, is another level. I mean, what happened there was not just inappropriate conversations but it was a mockery of the female gender. And there is yeah. nothing being said 
from feminist groups or feminist leaders to call this out. This wasn't a trans person talking about their life. This was a trans person mocking menstrual cycles for women, which is very much part of the identity of females. Yes. It's, it's disrespecting women, real women, and mocking and satirizing something that real women go through and making it a joke. And and people should be should be rightfully upset. And the president of the United States, such as he is, should be called out for entertaining that kind of filth, not just in the White House, but at all. And yes, in the White House. And this is why the Democrats are going to lose historic uh, levels of elections uh, in two weeks. They, they've, they've gotten in bed with the neocons, and they become a pro-war party. And nobody's talking about this, but I believe there is a growing uh, dissatisfaction amongst the anti-war left, and we saw this in that video that you've posted of AOC getting confronted uh, at her town halls of people saying you're you're supporting a you know a war in Ukraine that could lead to a nuclear conflict. Uh, Representative Ayanna Presley, another member of the squad from Massachusetts, was at a college campus, and she got sideswiped by some of these, you know, nutball liberals, but nonetheless, and she took a belly full over, you know, Israeli policy. Mm -hmm. Th this party, this Democrat party, has sold themselves out and their voters. Yeah, they're, they're not your grandpa's Democrat party anymore. And a lot of these generational Democrats... <laughs> that are going, well, you know, the Union Democrat and uh, my granddad was a Democrat and blah, blah, down the, the bloodline. They're like, where are you? What happened to you guys? You're not fighting for Americans anymore. You're fighting for, if anything, a, a subsection of the culture that is less than 1% of America probably. Uh, and you're dictating your policy based on a very small section of the Democratic Party, whether it's the environmentalists, whether it's the trans, the, the gay rights, all these groups. Republicans are just like, hey, you do you, but don't let little kids have these gender reassignment surgeries at 12 years and less. Uh, that's what we're fighting for. And the Democrats are saying, oh, Republicans want to take uh, put you in jail for getting an abortion. Oh, they want to put you in jail for having a sex change operation. All these things that aren't true. We're just trying to protect kids fr from pre-infancy, from the womb up till they're 18 or 20 and can make their own decisions. You know, and, and I would like to protect kids like the 10 year old girl from Ohio who was raped and had to go to Indiana for an abortion because an illegal alien raped her. 
Yeah, the, the when we're talking about you know the the border and the uh, transgender kids and, and things, th these are two things that Europe was ahead of the curve on. They had open border policies that they now see are blowing up in their faces because a small group of uh, people they let into their countries like France, uh, there's like 7% are from these Middle Eastern countries and they're accounting for 60% of the sexual assaults in France. And now the French government's finally starting to do something about it. In Britain, they were letting kids pick their pronouns, letting kids go on hormone blockers and the National Institute of Health in Britain said uh, most of these kids grow out of it and then regret what they did and they've done damage to their bodies that's irreversible just through the puberty blockers and the hormones. We're not even talking about the sex change operations. We're just talking about the drugs. But you know who the one of the biggest backers of the uh, give kids uh, hormone therapy and operations, the biggest backers of that are pharma and doctors that make money off of this shit. That should tell you something right there. It should be child abuse to let your kid go on hormone blockers because they feel they're a, a boy in a girl's body or vice versa. The Democrats are just off the rails on this and they're making policy and statements on this. And the American parents and people are like, what the hell are you telling our kids? You know? No, it, it's, it's a, it's a disaster. Um, they're messing with kids in, in, I'm telling you the moms are going to be the ones that, you know, take the lead on this. And thank God for women standing up for women and children. That's, you know, a, a blessing that came out of that pandemic with the kids going home and their parents seeing the, the wokeness that was being taught in some schools. You know, that's what they credit the uh, flip in Virginia for. Uh, Virginia was starting to go... Democrat, Democrat, because of those northern suburbs and the suburban moms were like, oh, you ain't teaching my kid this shit after right. they saw the curriculums. Yeah, uh, they're not they're not about it. It's it's not it's that, you know, and the deal is it isn't that people are trying to, you know, criminalize people for no. how they want to live their lives. It's this is not for school. You know, the, the deal is in school, you don't indoctrinate my kid, right? You you teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic and, and mm -hmm. other basic skills. And, and the other part of the deal is I'm going to send my kid into this public school who's not going to be intolerant and bully people and be a disruption to the other students and a threat to the teachers. That's my responsibility. That's the two-way street, and that is being disrupted by uh, critical race theory, 
that is being taught in schools, uh, maybe not under that name, but certainly under that veil, pitting people against each other to hate other people and to hate yourself, really. Uh, and also, you know, if that doesn't work for you, then wear a dress <laughs> if you're a boy. It's okay. I mean, that's it's. Um, I mean, it's not funny in some ways because you know there are young people that struggle with their identity. Just, just as a person, you're you're going through such a dramatic change in these vulnerable years. You know, really, even into middle school and high school, to to micro target this thing. And, and to know that there are people that understand that and recognize this and see it as an opportunity to promote a political agenda at the expense of a human being's mental and physical health, I mean, it, it's criminal. Yes, it, it, it is almost criminal. Uh, you know, like you were saying, th these are confusing years for kids. And to have politicians uh, get through to teachers through the unions and say, okay, we've got to teach this uh, kid that, hey, you call yourself by your pronouns and your teacher has to recognize those pronouns. And there was a science teacher uh, not far across the Pennsylvania border from me who was suspended from uh, a school district that's a suburb of Pittsburgh because he refused to call a kid by their pronouns. He said, no, that's not how your DNA, your biology is set up. And I'm a science teacher. I cannot teach this and call you a, a he if you're born a female and I can't call you she if you're born a male. It's just not how science works. And he got in trouble, and by the hundreds, moms and parents came out and were very vocal at a school board meeting, and they got the school to suspend the policy of addressing kids by their preferred pronouns, and they got the teacher unsuspended. So the school boards have to listen to the parents, and parents are saying, hey, Teach my kid to read. Teach my kid better reading skills, better math skills, where uh, kids are falling behind. And it's not because of the pandemic. It's because of the way we're, some schools are teaching kids. You know, they're even working woke curriculum or critical race theory into mathematics and, and yeah. things like that. Right. What, what does math have to do with race or gender nothing it, it, it's yeah it's they're, they're just putting the boot down on the the neck of the the of the family to make yeah. them submit at, from the moment that the kid gets into the school until they leave you know and i and i have heard stories from individuals who go to school and they specifically young boys who do not want to participate in some of these woke activities and they are getting targeted and singled out and bullied, not by the students 
which would be bad enough, but by the teachers. And it's to the point where they come home and they're crying and they say, mommy, daddy, just make the rainbow t-shirt. I'll wear it. I want it to stop. Mm. Now that's yeah. happening. That's happening. It's not, I'm not making this up. Oh no, it's, it's out there. And, and, and the, it's wrong. It's wrong on both. Si- it's wrong on both sides. You know, you know, frankly, it's, it's my view that again, it, this is the deal. You don't indoctrinate my kid with some of this experimental learning. And I'm not going to send an asshole in to be a disruptor. All I right. will take care, I will take care of my business with my kid at home and teach them how, how to engage in, in school and in public places and to They're treat taking... people. What was your first lesson you learned at growing up? I mean, obviously, you know, manners and things like that, but think, think about, I want everyone out there, think about what your first lesson was. If you grew up in, I mean, you know, a lot of people grew up in challenging areas, right? So what you were either taught about it by a parent or a guardian, or you figured it out. But what's your first real lesson in life? Treat others as you would want to be treated. The golden rule. And that's respect. You give respect, you get respect. You treat people right. Everybody puts their pants on the same way, one leg at a time. I tell my kids that every single morning. How do you put your pants on? One leg at a time. When I was, you know, my father had nothing more than a 10th grade education. And there were times where I would talk politics or whatever and kind of put somebody down, and he was quick to snap at me. That's not how you talk about other people. Where's that, you know? So if somebody wants to be gay or wants to be, you know, trans or whatever this is, okay, that's that's your call. And that shouldn't be criminalized and you shouldn't be discriminated against. But the, where the line gets drawn is where you start, you know, getting aggressive in my face about things where you shouldn't be. Everyone know their space and know their zone. And I think we would be and understand more about what we have in common as Americans than what we may have in differences. And and I think we'd be a lot better off for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that that's unreasonable. No, I, it's almost like they're telling the kids to parent the parents, and the parents are letting the kids parent the, the parents. Like, the kids are setting the, the rules... And they're being told that, that your parents have to follow your rules. And some of these extreme left woke parents are letting their kids do it. Well, 
they they are. But here's two things. One, there is a movement to remove the role of the parent out of the home. That yeah, the the actual instructor is the state. It's it's the it's the state, whatever that is, the school, the teacher, the administrator, the counselor. That's the real guardian of of children. It's not the parent anymore. The parent is just the birthing unit. But the other part of it is, what was the second part of what you were saying? Uh, the the kids telling the parents how to raise right. them. Right, and the parents are going along with it. Well, let me tell you, you know, when Junior and Sissy come home from Thanksgiving break at their expensive boarding school or their expensive college or wherever this is and they sit and the and the family sits down for Thanksgiving dinner and there erupts a civil war because somebody misgendered somebody <laughs> you know and you're you're seeing this panic now among parents in New York in the upper west side in the upper east side who are spending 30 and 40,000 dollars a year to send their trust fund kids to to school and they're getting a brain full of mush junior yeah. and sis, junior and sissy come home and start berating mom and dad because they've misgendered somebody in casual conversation and the parents are like wait a minute i didn't sign up for this what the hell's going on well frankly it's been going on right and it's been going on for a long time in schools where parents don't have the financial means to get their kid into some place where they would want them. And they got to sit there and they got to deal with it. And these are usually the parents whose kids end up going to fight an overseas wars. And yeah, some rich people have made the sacrifice, but it's mostly on the backs of the deplorables. Mm -hmm. average Americans whose kids and whose families is what make this country work. And they've been getting a belly full of this nonsense from elected officials that these people have been voting for and financing and campaign contributions. So no, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. If you're not all of a sudden you're a part of the 1% and you're waking up and you're seeing sissy and, and junior you know, giving giving you the 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 business, ripping your head off, because you don't know what binary is, or pansexual, yeah. or some and other kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, they them their day and dem. You don't get it. Well, you're a racist. So so guess what? I don't feel sorry for you, but you know, I'm glad you're waking up. Yeah, you're going, where the hell did you learn this? Oh, my teacher taught me in school. You know, $90,000 uh, at the end of a four year deal, and your kid comes home and, you know, ripped your head off, vapor locks on you and the rest of the family because you don't understand what day dem dares is. Now, that's not educate. That's not education. 
Okay. It's indoctrination. It's, it's indoctrination and it's divisiveness and it's substituting the role of the parent from the kid in place of the state. And now let me just say, to reiterate, I have no issue with somebody who wants to call themselves whatever, dress however they want to dress. You know, there's obviously some limits and appropriateness in the workplace and other things like that. But I would never discriminate against somebody who was different than me. I wasn't raised like that. I'll discriminate against somebody who treats me like shit. Right. But I'm not going to discriminate somebody because they just happen to be different from me. And that includes a lot of different things. Gender, religion, among among many others. Yeah, there's it's almost like we're trapped in an episode of All in the Family and half the country, not half the country, but a per, big percentage of the country. It's like meathead versus Archie in these debates. Uh, when you hear people arguing and, you know, some of these people are just, no, 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 you're wrong. You, the property owner with your four slice toaster and your uh, old fashioned ways and your religion. And, and there's no proof that there's a God. And then you got the other side going, look, I don't care. Just don't shove it in my face. And I'll say this. And it's, I'm allowed to say it. I said it. I'll say it again. And you don't have to like it, but don't shove things in my face and say, don't I have changed. Don't shove things like this in people's faces and expect instantaneous change. I mean, the, the response should be is, all right, now how the hell are we going to make this work? That should be the response, not extremist reactions. Right. It's like, so-and-so's got a thing here. Okay, well, how can we make this work? Adults sitting down at a table trying to figure this shit out to protect our kids. As best as what that particular local entity determines protects kids. Not some politician somewhere at a state level or the federal level, certainly. But leaders, local pillars of the community who represent institute Our institutions in this country at the local level are shot. The v- I mean, what do I mean by that? Yeah, the church. That's a big part of it. Huge part of it. I would argue the most important part of it. But our local institutions are shot. When was the last time you saw anybody plan a spaghetti dinner fundraiser at the VFW for something? Or if it got planned, how many people showed up? How many people show up to the Memorial Day parade in your local community? I guarantee you more people show up to the gay pride parade. And no offense, I've been at gay pride parades and was proud to be there because I I don't believe in discrimination. But where are the people for the Memorial Day parades and the 4th of July parades and the Veterans Day parades? 
Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there are schools that kids don't get or uh, they don't have uh, Memorial Day or Veterans Day off anymore. You know, that used to be a federal, it still is a federal holiday, but the bank closes, the post office closes, and the school is like, well, it's just another day, you know. Well, uh, I'm uh, talking my, about our institutions. I get that. I'm talking about our institutions. Where's our Eagles Club? Where's the Elks? Where's the Freemasons? Where's this club or that club? The PTA. These institutions that get people out of the house and engaged and caring. Yeah, in the suburbs, in the rich suburbs, they're there. You've got committees and you've got this and officers and everything and, you know, things are good. But in the vast swath of America, in the overlooked flyover country that is home to populations that make this country work day in and day out, it's being of these local institutions, these pillars are being eviscerated. And they're being eviscerated because the population no longer has meaningful employment. Right. There has been other vices creep into the culture, into the fabric of the community. The churches have rotted out. And the politicians are corrupt. And you want to know what I'm talking about? You read Alienated America by uh, Carney. Is it Timothy Carney? Tom Carney, I think it's Timothy Carney. You read this book, and it explains a lot of why we are in the position that we're in. And it is no pro-Trump book, but it gives you an understanding of why somebody like Donald Trump can come along and resonate with people. And it isn't because Trump is evil or the people are stupid. It is a result of a small segment of this society who cashed in and got comfortable and forgot about their fellow brother and sisters in their own neighborhoods. And I think that's something we need to pay attention to. Yeah. I mean, I feel we've talked about it before. People don't neighbor anymore. A lot. I mean, I still know all my neighbors, but I'm from a different part of the country. I'm a little more rural. So we kind of rely on each other a little more. But in a lot of places, your suburbs, even in your flyover places, they don't talk to their neighbors. There's, you know, uh, Jim Quinn used to say when he was on the radio, there are too many things being thrown on the government that should be settled over a kitchen table or a backyard fence. Amen. That's what we've lost. You know, like you're talking, people used to go down to the VFW or the Elks and talk out their problems. Well, what's wrong in town? What's with these kids? What's, you know, what's this, that person doing? How do we fix the community? And that's lost now. Yeah, we've lost the, the little institutions that made the country great. And Trump, yeah, he came in and he talked 
about those real issues, you know, the drugs and the crime coming across the border. Yeah, there are good people coming across the border. That's the first thing he said. But what everyone focused on was there are also rapists and murderers. Now, a bigger part of the country in 2016 and maybe 2020 uh, saw that, hey, we got to do something about the rapists and the murders and the drugs. And the other part said, listen to CNN and went, well, Donald Trump thinks all Mexicans are rapists and murderers. Never who's said that. The, who, who's doing the raping, Don? <laughs> that famous quote. When yeah. Trump, when in 2015, when Trump made that speech and he said, we've got a problem at the border and it's affecting our communities, not just at the border, but inside of the whole country with drugs and crime and everything. And of course, the, lib the, the idiotic liberal media pounces on that in the, you know, the shallow, fragile establishment Republicans, you know, ran away, scared of their own shadow. They didn't want to step in. Um and defend Trump, but the media came in playing their liberal game, and they said, well, you, what do you think, all these immigrants are rapists and murderers? And Trump said, no. <laughs> I mean, anybody with a brain knows some of the hardest working people we have in this country are immigrants, right? and especially legal immigrants, and even a good chunk of the illegal ones that get brought up here and or who or who are just trying to better themselves or, or fleeing somewhere seeking asylum. Maybe they come in here illegally because, you know, the system's so screwed up. They get caught in, in a thing. There's good percentage of those people who are still good people. But it doesn't change from the fact that there are some folks getting into this country they're causing a lot of problems. I mean, the list goes on and on. And Trump points this out. And then famously says, well, who's doing the raping? Well, uh, nobody's really getting raped. Except there's a lot of rapes being reported. <laughs> so they're not happening? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I'm looking over. Situation. I'm looking over at this uh, betting odds here, you know, back to our conversation. And this all ties in nicely. Like the last 30 minutes of our conversation here is why the Democrats are going to take a bath on right. uh, November the 8th. But, you know, we talk about polls and polls are one thing. The polling industry writ large is a very corrupt institution filled with grifters and manipulators, there are exceptions to that. Right. Notable Trafalgar. exceptions. Trafalgar's one. I am a personal investor, in full disclosure, in the um, uh, public polling project by Big Data Poll and the People's Pundit. I contribute my financial... Uh, uh, I do make a financial commitment to this poll that is publicly funded that goes out four or five, six times a year. Uh, and we form the questions and we, we, we do our own thing. So I'm in full transparency here, but polls are one thing. Money is another. And so where's the money going? Um, you go to some of these, uh, 
websites uh, predict uh, predict it. I think is what it's called. Predict it uh, is a is a website where you can make political bets. Mm-hmm. And right now, um, you can get for twenty six cents on the dollar GOP Senate seats after the midterms fifty three. So you put down twenty six cents, you win a dollar. You put down nineteen cents to win a dollar on fifty four. So what does that mean? That means the Republicans, you know, the money is the Republicans are going to win the Senate and they're going to win it big. GOP governors after the midterm. Uh, you throw down 17 cents to win a dollar for 30 or uh, 32 or more. It's 34 cents. Not quite, um, you know, the best odds there, but you can make some money. I mean, the point is the Republicans are going to have the Republican that that's there's 28 Republicans right now that are governor. Um, that means that they're looking at anywhere from two to four pickup. So let's just stop right there. I've been spending a lot of time in the last week bearing down into these poll. I'm not a pollster. Um, I guess I'm a, I guess you could say a forecaster. But I, I analyze, mostly I analyze these things. I'm not predicting results. I'm not running, you know, 14,000 models through a super secret, you know, formula. Right. But I, anal- I analyze the data. I take a look at certain polling outlooks that, you know, fo- firms that I think are credible and others that I don't. And I try to, I try to figure this out as best as I can. So the money is saying at least two. I mean, do you want to talk about this right now? Yeah, go for it. Let's do it. The money is saying about two, uh, up to four. So you take a look at the governor's races that are out there, and it really comes down to about, <clears throat> I think this other map that I have is better. Um, I don't know, six to eight governor's races that are, you know, undetermined, could go either way, you know, tilt D, tilt R, or pure toss-up. And so th- so you're looking at, all right, you, you remove those six or so from the picture, and, it, you know, the Republicans then are at 28, and the Democrats are at 16. And, and in this calculation... I give the Republicans a pickup of Wisconsin and Nevada. I give Democrats a pickup of Maryland and Massachusetts. Uh, and holds in Georgia, in Arizona, Ohio. Uh, those are some of the most, and everything else is pretty much safe. Safe Democrat or safe Republican. So starting over on the East coast, you know, so how does, if it's uh, 32 or more or 30 or more, the betting markets are saying Republicans are going to have a good night at the governor's races with those six seats or so left. How do you get there? Well, as it turns out, New York is undetermined. 
I mean, I think you could say it's tilt D, but you could easily say it's a toss-up. And it, and you can say that because of the performance that Zeldin is putting in in certain key areas uh, of the state and the ineffectiveness of Kathy Hochul uh, as a candidate. It is, and the fact that this is a Republican year, even in New, frankly, even in a lot of places in New England, we talked about this earlier today. Some of the more competitive congressional seats, governor seats, and Senate seats this year are in New England, and that is the one region of the state where Biden had the highest approval ratings, and the Democrats have their highest support. And we're taking it to them in New England. And by New England, I mean Pennsylvania, New Jersey, North. Right, right. Yeah, we were talking, you know, AOC is four points ahead of her opponent when she should be like 20 points ahead. You know, that's to be like a huge Democrat district. It is a huge Democrat district. But if she's that close or her opponent is that close. And we saw the uh, turnout of people that said, we supported you because you were anti-establishment. Now you're just like the rest of them. That speaks volumes for what what are the moderates, the 80% of the country that's somewhere in the middle, that's not 10% on the right, not 10% on the left, but the bigger silent majority in the middle of the country, the 80% of people that are not radical left or radical right, they're looking at this election like we effed up listening to CNN and MSNBC and whatever they were listening to that made them vote for Biden. Right. Biden or you any know? other Democrat. And, and to speak to this uh, from uh, August 24th, the average Republican pickup went from 23 seats to it's now at 30 and a half in the federal house. So seven seats. And just yesterday, two seats went from lean Democrat to toss up in California and in New Mexico. Again, these are Democrat areas. Like, you know, this isn't just, competitive seats in toss-up states like, you know, Michigan or Virginia or North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, whatever. This is the New Mexico and California things are now going to toss-up from the Democrat camp. And not, not just, hey, these are toss-ups. This is, at one time, this was leans Democrat, which is, you know, up, upwards of 60% chance that the seat's going to Democrat. It's now toss-up. It's 50-50. And to your point, these 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 voters in these areas that are predominantly Democrat or marginally Republican are waking up to the fact that they've been sold a bill of goods. Yeah, they've been sold a wooden nickel. A, a wooden a wooden nickel on a peg leg. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so 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 New York is, you know, in terms of the governor's races. Uh, they got problems in New York. I mean, let's not forget 
Cuomo was bounced. If Cuomo would have been governor right now, I'd say he'd win, even with that nursing home scandal. Yeah, which is terrible. This, this is terrible in and of itself. But I, I, it's such a Democrat state, and he's such a, you know, shrewd politician. You know, he wouldn't be any worse than Hochul. I'll say that. Maybe he'd be right at her, but he wouldn't be any worse. Th- this woman Hochul is is a is a is a disaster. I mean, she's such well, a disaster. She's taking a state that Biden won by 25, 30 points and putting it in play. Yeah, I watched that debate with her and Zeldin, and she was totally running on, I'm not Donald Trump. And when she's the only one I've seen so far when asked if she would support Joe Biden, she overwhelmingly said, oh, Absolutely. Uh, he's done great things for this country. He's delivered. We just haven't seen the results of what he's delivered on yet. Oh, I'm like, oh my gosh, you right. just gave the election to Lee Zeldin. Well, and- the, you know they're going to be counting. They're going to be counting votes <laughs> for a long time in New York. If, oh if, yeah, you know they'll just reason. You know, in 2020, they found. Several days after election day, in in some kind of random closet in the county administration building in one of these congressional districts, a bag full of ballots, a duffel bag full of ballots. Oh, we better count these ballots. And they kept on trying to chip away at the lead of this uh, Republican who eventually ended up winning, but she saw her lead significantly diminished because they kept on finding ballots in extraordinary places. I mean, that's what will happen. That's what will happen if Zeldin takes it to this woman and it's not uh, outside of the margin of fraud, they're going to be counting ballots and finding ballots uh, for a long time in New York until they can try to get Hochul uh, over the top. Trust me. I mean, that that's the American political system. Say what you yeah. want about what that sounds like to you, but but that's what happens. I'm telling you right now, you should absolutely, no matter what state you're in, support any secretary of state that says we're going to have audits after the elections every stinking time. Because no matter no matter the state and who won, no matter who wins, no matter what, you've got to match those signatures. You've got to match ID it's not hard. Uh, yeah, you know, and, I, and an audit's not a recount. I mean, anybody no. can count the ballots cast versus the number reported and say, oh, well, you know, there's no difference here. Or, you know, here's here's the vote on the recount and here's the vote on the original. No, what we're talking about is a canvas, a re-canvas, where you actually go in and take a look at the ballot that came in did it have a proper signature? Did it have a proper date? Was the ballot built? You know, if it's an absentee ballot, and and check addresses. This person said they lived here, and so let's go check this address out. And it turns out to be a park bench. Well, yeah. shit, they're saying you know, ten registered voters live at this live in this park bench. Well, where's the bedrooms at? It's a bench, <laughs> right? So we know that uh, things have been actually made easier to vote. Uh, They say the Democrats are saying, well, 
you sometimes you're in line for eight hours and no one's allowed to bring you a, a bottle of water. No, you can hand somebody a bottle of Destani or Aquafina or Genera water, but you can't hand them a bottle that says, you know, Doc for Congress on it, you know. Uh, and some of the boards of elections during this early voting, I shit ye not, they will have a block party at the board of elections in a county north of me. And they'll have barbecue, music, and they'll be busting vote their voters in from the Democrats. Yeah, that's that, it's not supposed to work like that. Yeah, it's not you supposed know? to work like that. You're not supposed to uh, entice and support, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's bribe is what it is. That's what they're trying to prevent is bribing a voter. You know, and, you know I still drive by a, a place uh, in a different county than mine, but there's a, a, a secondary board of elections in one neighborhood, a, a walk-in voting location. Uh, we don't need these drop boxes. You know, you can drop your ballot off at the board of elections. You can mail the damn thing. I'd be okay with the government picking up the postage for the mail-in ballots. That's not that difficult, uh, you know. For and I think it should be absentee voting, not mail-in voting. At least check a reason. I'm going to be out of town working. I'm sick. You know, if somebody's uh, hospitalized or in a nursing home, they should absolutely still get the right to vote. But, so you got to have know, a reason. You got to have a reason. You know, that's, that's the way it used to be. Was. Yeah. You, you can't just go to the board of elections and say, I want a absentee ballot. And they gave you one or they mailed you the ballot or an application for the ballot unsolicited. You actually had to say, you know, well, why do you want this? Well, I, you know, I'm actually going to be out of town on a work trip. Okay. Or I have a doctor's appointment or I'm, I'm going under surgery. You know, you had to have a reason. And it's not like they drew your blood to check to see if you were, you know, lying. You know, so they didn't hook you up to a lie detector test, but you had to provide a reason, which meant you actually had to contact somebody in person. And that alone in and of itself was a verification that something was amiss. You know, even if you were making it, even if you were making it up, you still had to, the, the board had to see you and verify you to send you the damn ballot. It's not, let's send out the ballot itself or an application to anybody, and you can just decide if you want to do it or not. I mean, you, you're interacting with nobody. That That's called voter integrity. And, you know, that's, this is one of those things where I look outside of, the United States are outside of the box and say, okay, I'm looking at uh, Europe and Great Britain. They did this mail-in voting shit at, before the pandemic and they saw voter fraud increase. And now they're going back to, hey, you either show up on election day or you don't fucking vote. The Carter, now, Baker, the Carter Baker Commission, John, Mm -hmm. 
said as much in an official government report after the 2004 election or whatever, when there was all this controversy about things that the Democrats were raising, the Democrats were challenging elections, the Democrats were denying election results as far yeah. back as 2000, 2004. Right. Um, we, they, we were said there. They, they We were there. They said in this report, the Carter Baker report, hey, whatever you do for electoral reform, don't do no-fault absentee balloting. So what did we do? No-fault absentee balloting. Now, we did the opposite. I have no... <laughs> now, I want to do a PSA here in a minute that's going to be very valuable to your listeners for the 2020 election or 2022 midterm. Okay. But I, but I also want to say, I don't have a problem for early in-person voting. I mean, ideally, you vote on election day. Nothing gets mailed to you unless there's a reason for it. There's no in-person voting. There's no register and vote on the same day. All this stuff, right? You vote right. on election day. But if you're going to try to accommodate people and their schedules a little bit more, at least what you could do is say, all right, a week or 10 days out, you can come down to the board of elections, walk into the building like this. So just so you know, I already voted in Ohio. I already voted because I'm not going to be in town on election day. And right. I did not want to vote absentee by mail. So I, and, you know, and I happen to live, I have a mode of transportation and I live close to the board of elections, two or three miles away. I go down and I vote in person. Now I don't have a problem with that. I, I mean, I don't think you should be allowed to vote 30 days and because anything could happen. I mean, is it any, and is it any accident that after 500,000 mail-in ballots were delivered in this Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and an additional, by the way, 250,000 improperly that was just ad admitted. So they're up to it again. Whoops. Um, whoops. Is it any, is it any accident that uncle Fester, the cyborg, John Fetterman <laughs> decided to debate the one time Three weeks after 500,000 ballots had been mailed out. Right. And most of them likely returned. Now, yeah, that, somebody brought that up uh, for a while ago. Why are you waiting till after uh, early voting starts? Well, we saw no, why. We saw why. why. You know, yeah. Hello, I'm, I'm John Fetterman. Good night. <laughs> you know, the guy's. There was supposed to be a debate in late September, early October, mid-October, and now. And yeah. they canceled all of them until this last one. Okay. The The point is, I don't think, you know, so if you do, you know, that's, you know, don't run, I mean, look, a lot of the people that are voting early are probably committed partisans anyhow that would vote one way or another no matter what. Maybe I'm part of that group. Um. But the point of it is, I don't necessarily have a problem with early in-person voting. 
So that so so that I could that I could handle that I could stomach. But no fault absentee voting, voting by mail, registering to vote by mail, where you never have a person at any point in the voting experience from registration, requesting the ballot, getting the ballot, delivering the ballot. You never have contact with another human being. I, I have I just fundamentally, I have a problem with that on something so sensitive as this. All right, so I'm going to put that out there. Now, here's the PSA. If you live in Arizona or specifically Arizona, but other states, Pennsylvania, and you're, you're, you know, you're a Republican, you know, the Democrats, we all know they're going to vote early and they're going to vote by mail. Someone may or may not help them fill out the ballot. I don't know. But or someone may even deliver the ballot for them. I mean, if you give somebody $25 and a carton of cigarettes, you can do a lot of things with somebody's ballot. Mm-hmm. Just I'm just saying. But if, right. you're, if you're a Republican, do not wait until Election Day to drop your absentee ballot off at the Board of Elections. Either get it and mail it immediately so it gets there before Election Day. Right. Vote in person early or vote on Election Day. Do not mail or take your ballot to the Board of Elections And expect it to get there on election day, or I think in some states, if it's postmarked and it comes in a couple of days after, they'll still count it. And the reason for that is, this isn't anything to do with machine manipulation or algorithms or whatever. It's how those votes are counted. And what will happen in, like, I'm going to give you an example, in Arizona. I fully suspect Carrie Lake for much of the evening, she's going to be elected the governor of Arizona, okay? That's going to happen. But I suspect if anywhere else in the country, it could happen in Michigan, it could happen in Pennsylvania, but I, I, I'm i thinking this will happen in Arizona more than anywhere else. It could happen in Nevada too, by the way. Close elections, you go in, you count the votes that came in, by mail or in person first. Right. Then you count the votes on election day. Then you start the more longer uh, process, meticulous process of thousands of votes, a lot of times per county and understaffed county, rural counties really, you actually have to open the damn envelope up, take the vote out. You should be inspecting it. That didn't happen in 2020, but you should be looking at signatures. You should be doing certain checks. It takes time. It could take several days to count those ballots. And if we know the results because they've been reported and the race is really close, that will gum up the entire system. It will take days, if not weeks, 
to count these ballots and for people to challenges to particular ballots that come in on one side or the other. And that takes time to adjudicate. And that's why Carrie Lake had the problem that she did in the primary. It took her three, four, five, six days before she could declare victory. She knew she had the votes, but it took them time to count the votes. And yes, it does raise suspicion on fraud in certain circumstances when the count is extraordinary or abnormal like it was in 2020 in several states. It raises the suspicion of fraud. I'm not saying there was or not. You know, we could be on YouTube here. But it raises the suspicion. It isn't the best way to do things. So, again, if you're a Republican and you're going to vote, vote on Election Day, vote early in person, or if you have an absentee ballot, return it immediately or take it to the Board of Elections before Election Day. That way, everything gets counted first. And there isn't this huge number of ballots that need to be processed in a short period of time and causes problems. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, in those states where the Democrats can foul things up, we do need to get out there and vote earlier. You know, Ohio, we're a little bit safer. Our elections are run with a pretty tight ship. Uh, and honestly, by both parties, except for when Jennifer Bruner was secretary. But uh, let's well, let's look at some of these. Let's, well, let's look at some of these other governor states. So, okay. you know, New York, we talked about toss up, pure toss up. Uh, I would say. You know, if I had to call balls and strikes, it's tilt D. But because of the polling, and it's toss-up. I don't want anyone to overlook Maine. The current governor of Maine is really incompetent, has managed to piss off a lot of people over COVID, and screw up the finances of the state, and then at the same time, you know, upset the fisher, the fishing industry, which, you know, if you're familiar with Maine or at least know where Maine is located, that could be a problem. Her challenger is the former two-term governor who is a bit of a prick, but was able to manage the state, Paul LePage, was able to manage the state and keep things, keep the trains running on time. He's running for a third term. He had to sit out four years because of term limits. Just keep an eye on Maine. The polling out there is weird. Their election system is weird. It's an independent state. That could be a big upset. Pennsylvania, you know, that is tilt or even lean D for governor. I think Oz wins, probably wins by a lot. Uncle Fester may have tanked the entire ticket for all we know. In in Pennsylvania, with that debate performance, it wasn't a debate performance. I mean, it's an embarrassment. It's sad embarrassment. But Mastriano is just so far behind because the Republican Governors Association screwed this guy over the summer and bolted on him when they looked at these bogus polls and said, <laughs> oh, he went to January 6th. He's behind. He's Trump. He's, 
you know, doesn't have the right membership to the right country club. He doesn't come from the right part of town. He's a little bit gringy and dingy, you know, all this establishment stuff. And if they had they, and, and frankly, I think Trump is a little bit to blame here too. Once they saw that the RGA was pulling out, no one from Trump world stepped in to fill the void and they got hundreds of millions of dollars too. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's the Jameson talking here or what, but I hope to think that Mastriano can pull this off. You know, the polls aren't showing him in good position, but his supporters aren't typically people who would answer polls. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but I, I can't, I can't go that much. I, I you know, and say, oh, it's a toss up. No, it's it's tilt or even lean D. Now, the Senate race, that's going to go to Oz. Uh, in Michigan, the governor up there is very unpopular. She has spent $25 million, at least, to win this reelection. She is in bad position. The Republican opponent hasn't raised or spent hardly anything. I think the RGA and other groups are coming in to help her out at the last minute. That could help. Tudor Dixon against Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, I think Dixon has a real good chance of winning this. If anything happens on election night that I want to see, everything else aside, I just want, you know, Gretchen Whitmer uh, to lose this election. But, you know, she she has put up a strong campaign. They spent a lot of money. She has rehabbed her image. She's a strong, 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 strong candidate. And that is that is going to be a tough, tough battle for Tudor Dixon to win this thing. In Minnesota, a lot of people aren't talking about this, but the Lutherans on the west side of the state are coming in strong. Uh, I think the Iron Range, the three counties on the Iron Range are waking up. You know, we'll see what kind of pull that Minneapolis-St. Paul region has over the state. It's a tough nut to crack, but everything looks like the uh, that Walls, the incumbent governor, uh, Walls, is in trouble. Uh, Keith Ellison, the radical liberal attorney general is dragging the ticket down. He's likely going to lose irregardless of anything else. There's competitive state legislative races going on in Minnesota. The Republicans have the Senate. The Democrats have the house. It's a real divided and purple state up and down. I think the opportunity is ripe for the Republicans to pull off a big upset in Minnesota. Kansas is a Democrat governor. A lot of people think, you know, Kansas has a history of electing Democrat governors. A lot of people think that'll continue. But the demographics of Kansas are just very conservative. This is a Republican year. I think that Democrat incumbent governor is in trouble. She barely won election uh, four years ago. New Mexico is another one. I would say that this is more tilt to lean D just because of the demographics of the state uh, and the historical voting patterns and the way that the incumbent governor is polling is, is stronger. There's not a lot of trend moving against the incumbent governor, the Democrat, but it's still one that I would keep a, an eye out for on election night. And then, of course, is Oregon. And the situation in Oregon is you have a uh, very unpopular incumbent Democrat governor you have a divided electorate. Uh, it's a very Democrat state, but it's divided. 
and you have a good quality Republican candidate, uh, someone who has won, ran and won before elective office, served as, I think, the House uh, Republican leader in the state house. This is uh, a candidate that is very, very sellable as a Republican in a Democrat state. Uh, so I, if I had to put money on it, I'd say that's uh, tilt to lean, tilt R definitely, and maybe even lean R at this point. Nevada and Arizona are going to go Republican. Wisconsin will go Republican. Georgia Republican. Florida is going to be a route for Republicans up and down. But watch that governor's race; it's not even going to be close. No. So, no. so, so this, and then unfortunately, the Republicans are going to lose the governor's races in Maryland and in Massachusetts. They nominated, you know, Trump, Rep Trump style candidates uh, in areas that are less Trumpian for the electoral market. It's also Democrat states. And they're also not, they don't have a lot of money. And the Democrats finally found quality candidates uh, to put up for that office uh, for governor. And so it looks like, you know, they're going to lose those two. And there's there, there's the there's the roundup. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have a lot, a lot of red in this country, and it's going to show we're more center right than we are this the loud, loony left. Right. By, and, and, yeah. By far. By far. And so so we're at 28. The betting markets say 32, uh, 32 governors. So where are the pickups? If you listen to what I just said, um, the pickups are Kansas. So that takes us to 29. Um, Oregon, mm -hmm. th that takes us to 30. So then you look at favorable conditions in Minnesota, Michigan, and New York. And Maine as an outside. Like I said, New Mexico I have as a toss-up, but I I feel it looks like that's going to go Democrat. So Kansas and Oregon gets you to 30. Now the betting markets, the big money is at 32 or more. So how do you pick up two more? Minnesota and Michigan. I'm telling you, people who bet money, you say all you want about polling, but people who put the, the green on the table, those are people to pay attention to. Right. That So, you know, you, you want to say 32, 31. I, I personally think the number is 31. I, I think we pick up Kansas, we pick up Oregon, and we get one of Michigan in New York, and I think it's Michigan. And, and and Minnesota's treading the right way. I just don't have any confidence in New York because it's run by Democrats, and they'll come, they'll find the votes. They'll they'll, they'll find them. So right. you know, I, I I see thirty-one as kind of the the magic number here, and and but I wouldn't be surprised if it is thirty-two, but I don't see how you get above 32. Well, I would love to see that Zeldin 
when in New York. And that, and that, and that is ignoring Maine, which could go Republican. If Maine goes Republican, if this really flushes out the way that it could, 28, tw- uh, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, it could be 34. It's maybe possible. Even, maybe like even, it is. And maybe even 35 if Pennsylvania comes around. It, it, it is very possible. More than likely, though, I'm seeing 30, 31. Uh, keep it in, in mind on the betting and the polls. So sorry, sorry to jump on you the second time there, but I just want to get that out there. No, that's no problem. Uh, keep talking. I have to take a break. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so that's the uh, uh, governor's race. Uh, Georgia. Uh, obviously, I believe has gone safe Republican. Uh, Arizona is going to go Republican. Nevada, Wisconsin. You know, in, in any other year, uh, to show you just how big this year is for Republicans, Maine, New York, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Oregon, would, uh, would New Mexico would all be off the table for Republicans. And the Democrats would be looking to compete in Georgia and in Arizona and in Nevada and in, in, in Wisconsin, even though that would be a long shot. And they would have enough money to make life difficult against uh, people in other states like Ohio and Iowa. And so, so this, this is just that kind of year. We're talking about three big states in New England that could go Republican. One, definitely. Could definitely go. New York could definitely be one of the biggest states in the union. Could definitely go Republican. Right. I think you're you're on to something there. And you know, I was looking at these polls. You had, you know, a, not that long ago, Fetterman up like 13 over Oz. Now Oz is ahead. Uh JD Vance, who is trailing in money and in polls, though it was close, is now ahead. Herschel Walker, who's had everything, including the kitchen sink, thrown at him as far as allegations go, is now ahead. So a lot of those people that voted early, you might see a mirage at first. But when the election day votes and the people that vote after they see these debates are going to start really bringing it home for the Republicans let me give this. you some let me give you some breaking news. Okay. Um some of the people that I follow here. Um what is this saying here? All right, that's not that's not a polling issue. Uh okay, here's some breaking news. Um, Herschel Walker now has a 65% chance to defeat Raphael Warnock, buoyed by fundamentals and soon to be released new polling in which we found a strong Republican environment, uh, up and down the ballot in the peach state. 
Republicans came home to Walker in a big way. This is Rich Barris, the People's Pundit. This is uh, the uh, administrator of the Public Polling Project, Big Data Polling, that I am a uh, financial and content investor in. So full disclosure, he's basically saying Herschel Walker is going to win this Georgia. Now, whether or not he wins it in November or in the runoff, he's going to win it. So when you look at the Senate seats now, if you go uh, in that environment uh, with uh, six toss-ups and the Republicans of 48 and the Democrats of 46, you now have the Republicans of 49 uh, they're going to win Nevada, so they're at 50. They're going to win Wisconsin, so they're at 51. They're going to win Pennsylvania, they're at 52. They're very likely to win Arizona, they're at 53. That's incredible. I mean, all the states on the board, this is a Democrat favorable map, uh, and the Republicans are sitting real pretty at 53. In the betting markets are 26 cents on the dollar for 53. So that's that's the prime bet. Now, if a value bet would be 54 or more. It only costs you 19 cents to win a dollar. Uh, so, you know, you do the math if you want to put some big money down. But it, it's looking like, you know, New Hampshire will be the wild card. Uh, whether or not the Republicans not only you know spike the football but jam it down their throat. That's amazing that New Hampshire is might go Republican. It it used to be traditionally a Republican state, then it kind of changed, and now it's we've got a guy that can win in there. Well, and <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing: the the the, the New Hampshire Senate candidate, <laughs> the Arizona Senate candidate the Georgia Senate candidate, the Ohio Senate candidate, the Missouri Senate candidate to a degree, the Nevada Senate candidate to a degree. Um, these are not Mitch McConnell Republicans. No. Which is why I was banging the drum in the summertime at these polls that were coming in, knowing that, hey, these polls are kind of bogus. All of a sudden in... August and September, early September, they were like showing, oh, the Democrats are going to have a great, you know, well, I should say late July and August, the Democrats are going to have a great year. They're going to they're going to defy historical trends. They they may lose some seats, but they're not going to lose as much as what we're saying, and they're likely will keep the Senate. I I said I, I was like hey, these polls are bullshit, but. The Republicans are also doing a pretty good job, led by Mitch McConnell, to self-sabotage. Right. They Throw bailed. Mitch. Yeah, they bailed on Blake Masters in Arizona, and they wanted to bail on Herschel Walker in Georgia, and they totally bailed on Boldak in this guy's a general, a military general in New Hampshire. They totally bailed on him, like the RGA did. At the same time, using the same bogus polls against Mastriano in Pennsylvania. And like they wanted to do against Oz. They wanted to totally wipe Pennsylvania off the competitive market. And and it's wanted to play this game of political Russian roulette. 
we think we can win the majority, but we don't want to win it too big. We don't want all these MAGA Republicans coming in. We don't want a 255, 260-seat House majority. We'd be just as happy with 220, 225. We'd be just as happy with 51 Senate seats, maybe 52. Well, they're looking at a belly full of House seats, potentially you know mid-250s, and at least 53 Senate seats. And four, five, maybe six of those newcomers are anti-Mitch McConnell added to what I'm saying is if this plays out, I don't think Mitch McConnell is going to be the, the majority leader. I think it's going to be Rick Scott from Florida. It's going, going to be the majority leader because people aren't going to put up with this. Why the hell should Blake Masters support Mitch McConnell? Why the hell should General Boldick, if he gets down to Washington, as a senator support Mitch McConnell? They have no yeah. reason to. Why? You know, that's why they were pouring in a ton of money to JD Vance in Ohio. And I'm sitting there going, "Why are you tossing money at JD Vance in Ohio?" Well, they were trying to butter him up. They were saying, "Oh, these polls are really close. He's up by one. He's down by two. He's up by two. He's down by one. He just can't make it. He can't break out. So we need to put Mitch McConnell's Senate Leadership Fund money in here and their shitty ads and poorly designed mailers and." You know, you know, crap out a bunch of nonsense that, you know, pads the pocket of a bunch of consultants to voters who, you know, who will never pay attention to anything. But we can say we spent a lot of money, pal, and, and you pulled it off. J.D. Vance is going to win by eight points. He was going to win At by least. eight points. He's going to win by eight points in July. He's going to win by eight points in August. He's going to win by eight points in November. Didn't matter. But that's the game that they play. Oh, well, hey, J.D., we helped you out. We spent, you know, $10 million. We need to vote on this here. You know, don't be don't be voting against this debt ceiling thing. Don't be voting against these millions of dollars to Ukraine to spark a, a, a nuclear war, you know, yada, yada, yada. They know they couldn't get away with that with Masters in Arizona or other places, Um but, uh, but, uh, and I'm not saying they'll get away with it with J.D. Vance. I don't think he will capitulate. But the point is they had to spend the money somewhere, and that's where they felt that they could spend the money, and they did. And they didn't need to. They should have been spending it in New Hampshire. They should have been spending it in other places to cause the Democrats heartburn. Mm -mm. And so, but anyhow, it's 53. That's the number. That's incredible. The Republicans have not, have not had in a hundred years more than fifty-five. <laughs> they're they're going to come into this at fifty-three with an outside outside shot at fifty-four. That's if amazing. Had, if they had any kind of leadership in Washington that understood the new emerging Republican majority of working-class Americans, college and some college-educated suburbans, uh, African-American males and Hispanics, working-class, they would take races like in Colorado. They would have candidates that could win in places like Colorado, Washington, and Connecticut mm -hmm. and really take it to the Democrats. They're not saying they'd win all those, but 
they can expand the map. And that's what Republicans need to do. They need the Democrats are always expanding the map. They're they're putting money in Texas. They're putting money here, putting money there. I mean, they're grifting their donors, but the Republicans could do it legitimately so. If they would just yeah. listen to what their voters are telling them and represent their values. Yeah, Mitch McConnell pretty much represents himself. And he he needs to be done with leadership in the Senate. I hope we can get him out of that leadership, if not this year, then after 2024 for sure. Uh, but let's we're going to have both houses of the Congress one way or another. <clears throat> Assuming there's not a huge amount of fraud. And I don't think there will be this year. Uh, do we impeach Joe Biden? Because if we don't, then do we look at in 2024, people saying, well, you said you would impeach Biden and you didn't. But if we do, then you have Kamala Harris and the world falls deeper into chaos. So last time we talked, we were both kind of like, yeah, let's go for this impeachment. What do you think now? Ride it out two more years and just take the presidency in 2024? Uh, well, you know, I don't, even if you do impeach the guy, he's not going to get convicted in the Senate. Even if the Republicans come in with 53 or 54 senators, um, there may be a question of whether or not even 50 or 51 senators based on the composition of the caucus would vote to convict Biden. But then that begs the question, what are you impeaching him over? I mean, the Democrats railroaded Trump on specifically his second impeachment, which was totally bogus and one of the biggest miscarriages of justice and abuse of power in the history of the country when they impeached him the second time as he was not even, and then had the trial when he wasn't even president. Yeah. Um, I mean, th th what Pelosi did there, um, there's no forgiving that. You know, they wanted to, look, and I say this with all sensitivity to what happened on January 6th, especially, you know, you, you deal with the people who did the violence and the destruction, you know, you deal with that. Uh, we all know that there are people that were just there walking around, shouldn't have been there, but were there. They're being treated as felons uh, and worse. But what Nancy Pelosi did, uh, and forget Donald Trump, what she did to the presidency, what she did to tarnish the institution of the House, to impeach Donald Trump in you know near record time, without yeah, any chance right. for him to defend himself, without any legitimate debate, without anything for the American people to consume. They just took it to the floor and impeached him. Uh, look, I'm going to say something somewhat controversial here. Uh, so far as I know, she's running for re-election to her House seat. Uh, she will be re-elected considering where she comes from in San Francisco, San Francisco. Mm. Um, it, it, I, I personally, I think as Republicans, just on fundamental principle alone, uh, you know, 
they should not certify her election. The, the, the Each chamber is sole plenary power to determine their own membership. The Supreme Court cannot step in and say, you have to seat this person. The president has no authority to tell Congress who to seat. Congress, it is a specific delegated power under the Constitution. The Congress decides its membership. Yeah, the states could say, here's who won. We're sending the certificates forward. But ultimately, it's a vote of the Congress to determine whether or not to seat a member. And I wouldn't seat her. You know, you're talking about impeaching Joe Biden. I think there's a lot of other people you could impeach. They'll never get convicted in the Senate. They still have to have a Senate trial, whether it's Biden or Mayorkas or Merrick Garland. Yeah, they all should be impeached. And frankly, Biden should be impeached two or three times, just frankly, to prove a point. But do so under a legitimate process with legitimate investigation and legitimate committee hearings, not this January 6th crap or both Trump impeachments, but specifically the second one where there wasn't due process. But what the Republicans could do, and they don't need two-thirds of the Senate, they just need 218 Republicans. And out of a caucus, it's looking like it's going to be 250-plus. And much of that is because of Donald Trump and mm. this new coalition of Republicans that he's... If it wasn't for Trump, the Republicans wouldn't be competitive at all. There would be no right. Hispanic migration towards the party. There would be no working class migration towards the party. There would be no uh, African-American men working class migration towards the party. There would be none of that. It would be it would be a, a regional party at best. But what they should what they could do to send a message is say we're not going to seat Nancy Pelosi. She is illegitimate. And they should also frankly deny committee memberships just like the Democrats did to some of our people. Marjorie Taylor Greene and others. Adam Schiff should not be on any congressional committee. This man is a leaker and cannot be trusted with sensitive information. He shouldn't be on any congressional committee, let alone the Intelligence Committee. Ike is uh, a fucking maniac or it, mentally ill. Yeah, he's a maniac. And many other Republicans. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think Elon Omar should be on the Foreign Relations Committee. Hell no, she's anti-Semitic. Based off of some of her comments. And, and they just randomly pick some Democrats that have caused trouble. You know, don't put just like they did to us. And yes, tit for tat is not responsible government in general. But you got to send a message. Well, after I sit here and think about it, I, I think if... They run right at impeach Joe Biden it, before they govern, before they come through with the commitment to America plan that uh, what's his name rolled out, uh, Kevin McCarthy. We got to govern and we got to lead. We and do live up to our campaign promises before we worry about impeaching a guy that's a joke. But yeah, but but but. He, he can hold the fort down just barely for two more years. Right. But understand this, who you're dealing with. 
You're dealing with people. Kevin McCarthy should not be Speaker of the House, but he's going to be. I don't trust him. He is not Trump, MAGA conservative. Just like they did to us in 2011, when the Tea Party took over in historical numbers, and Boehner was up there, and they played this this game. And I called it out in February. Oh, let's 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 pass the debt ceiling now. Let's pass the continuing resolution now, and punt it down the road till August, September, and then we'll deal with the big issues. And then you, you oh, we got to pass this now, then November, December, and then we'll deal with the big issues. And guess what happened? The big issues never got dealt with because they were playing a game. John Boehner. So I hear what you're saying, John, but here's what has to happen. Joe Biden has to be impeached by the House of Representatives at least two times. And there are, I'm not just saying make it up. You could impeach him over the lie in Ukraine the southern border, you you could there there are causes immigration. You can you could the southern border. Yeah, the southern border. You could impeach him on a number of a number of of causes with proper congressional hearings, where the Democrats have counsel and the ability to question witnesses, and the Republicans do as well and bring the thing to a vote and impeach him and send it to the Senate and let him try him and then do it again. Impeach Garland. I mean, maybe the Senate acquits all these people. So be it. They will be there. They will be tarnished. They will have that scarlet letter on them. That is called political retribution. Yes. And it's tit for tat. Yes. And you don't necessarily want to, do that. That's not healthy. But what they did to us is it needs to be redressed. What they did to Trump for four years, it needs to be redressed. And the only way that you teach somebody a lesson is to hit them back and right. hit them back and hit them back harder. But but I also will say this, John, you're right though. You do need to govern. You do need to walk and chew gum at the same and do not let the Republicans tell you that we can't impeach Biden right now. We have the public health emergency on, you know, that we have to unwind. We have this debt ceiling. We have this continuing budget resolution. We have our, you know, commitment to America proposals. We've got all these things we need to do and need to focus on. We need to run legislative process on all these things. We can't devote time for all of these investigations. No. You will impeach this man multiple times within the first 100 days. You will impeach Merrick Garland. You will impeach uh, Mayorkas. Not because they're Democrats and we're playing political you know, hit games, but because they have failed to protect the southern border. They have uh, denied civil rights and civil liberties to people, the Department of Justice, and targeting their investigations uh, against political opponents. And Joe Biden is derelict 
across the board on immigration, on Ukraine, on the economy, on everything. And air this out. If you get these majorities, you get them not because of some, you know, soy boys and latte liberals that happen to be Republican that lives in the burbs. You get this majority because of average ordinary Americans putting their shoulder to the wheel every single day, making calls, delivering literature, recruiting candidates, supporting candidates in every way that they can find and getting them to Washington, D.C. to reclaim your rightful political power. This is a populist movement, inclusive nationalism, all-inclusive nationalism and economic populism. We are putting the people of this country back in charge of their government. And that requires significant and strong leadership because you can't just let mob mob rule happen. You can't just let emotions happen and people rule. But you have to respect the will of the people and you have to have principles that motivate the people. This isn't constitutional conservatism, which I am a big fan of. Limited government and those Reagan principles, those are all part of this too. But that movement has been sold out and is not, you know, that that's not the route to take. The route to take is to 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 rally the average ordinary American around a cause that confident in and that you'll deliver on. Whatever that cause is in terms of protecting this culture, this tradition, this society, all of us, regardless of any outward differences. So, you know, there, there's my take on the whole thing. Yeah, I think, you know, you can do these impeachments and have investigations, but the key thing is put the issues to put legislation on Biden's desk and make him veto opening up the Keystone XL pipeline. Right. Make him veto uh, opening up more fracking uh, permits. You know, make him veto a real inflation reduction act. Make him and, veto a budget that is balanced. How about right. that? You know, why can't we pass a balanced budget? Stop why, why passing. Stop passing uh, billion-dollar bailouts to the Ukraine war. Yeah, fifty-two billion dollars. Yeah, fifty-two billion dollars more than what we spent in Afghanistan. You know, we're getting well, all the and it's being, and the money's being laundered. Yeah, where's where's this money going? It's not. I mean, it's it's going to. It's it's frankly, it's going to Hunter Biden's former business clients. That twenty yeah. percent of that went to the big guy. <laughs> that's where that, that money's going yeah that's crazy well you talked about uh harry lake being a backup to ron DeSantis, and she put something out last well it's last night now because we've talked past midnight but uh <laughs> she put out a thank you letter to liz cheney listen to this October 28, 2022, uh, Liz Cheney, defeated member of Congress, Wyoming-AL, 
uh, P.O. Box, blah, 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 Cheyenne, Wyoming. Dear Liz, thank you for your generous and kind contribution to my campaign. Your recent television ad arguing Arizonans not to vote for me is doing just the opposite. Our campaign donations are skyrocketing and our website nearly crashed from traffic as people rushed to learn more about my plan to put Arizona first and join our historic political movement. In fact, my team tells me your commercial should add 10 points to our lead. <laughs> I guess that's why they call the Cheney anti-endorsement the gift that keeps on giving. While we appreciate your in-kind contribution, the $500,000 ad buy likely exceeds Arizona's $5,300 individual contribution limit. Thank you again for the huge boost to our campaign. Enjoy your forced retirement from politics. I know America will rest easier knowing one more warmonger is out of office. Sincerely, Carrie Lake, P.S., make Arizona great again. So there you go, Doc. There's your backup plan to DeSantis. Uh, <laughs> no, well, look, there's a lot of positive about Carrie Lake, and we'll get into it. But look down at the bottom of that letter and read to me the the the, the political disclaimer. Campaign manager and nominee no, for no, 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 below oh, that. Part, oh, my fault. Yeah, paid for by Liz Cheney, authorized <laughs> by Carrie Lake. <laughs> right. That's great. That is just a, a middle finger in the bestest of ways to your opponent yeah so, it's a big it's a big f you and let me tell you something carrie lake is the real deal she's as made as as tough as boot leather you take what she says like a papal bull this woman is the real deal she was a year ago she was doing podcasts with steve bannon no offense to steve bannon but you know, she she wasn't in demand. She was kind of a you know on the outside looking in, you know, kind of a lounge act at the airport. And she won that primary off of grit and hard work and connecting with his audience uh is part of, but you know, reaching out across the island, building a coalition. This used to be a Democrat. You know, she was big into Obama, like a lot of people were. They wanted the government to change. They knew, and a lot of people don't understand when I say this, but Trump and Obama are essentially the same politician, but coming at it from different sides. And Obama had the game, Trump had the results. And that's why they... Trump came from the outside and showed them all up. You don't need money to win. You don't need political resume to win. Obama was on the outside, but still had that inside feel. And he eventually sold out. And everyone knows he sold out. Right. Um, after the first two years of his presidency, Obama went into self-preservation mode and sold out. 
Uh, Carrie Lake believed in Barack Obama. She was, you know, one of these people that are just out there thinking, I want the government to change. I want it to work a certain way. We need, we need change. And she was let down and then realized, you know what? This is a fraud. This, this is, I was duped. She's got a hell of a story. And she came to realize what conservatism is, what Republicanism is, but also what Donald Trump represented. And that is results, not just platitudes and speeches, but actual results. And so, she, so she's on board. And what Carrie Lake also did, we talked about these governor's races earlier. And I said, you know, it doesn't look good for Mastriano right now in Pennsylvania. He should be winning this race. He's got problems. He has an outside shot at winning. But you know what Carrie Lake did? Look at her Twitter feed. Carrie Lake, in a hotly contested gubernatorial election of her own, takes the time to release of endorsement video for Doug Mastriano across the country in a much tighter and difficult race than what she's in and endorses him. You don't see this in politics. Politics is such a siloed thing, and it's, it, it, it is self-preservation and, and cannibalization of anyone who doesn't look good and cut bait and move on. Carrie Lake took the time to not only call out Liz Cheney and her bullshit, but like mm -hmm. Liz Cheney, who lost her own primary in her own state by 40 freaking points, a historical defeat of epic proportions, and then she wants to come down and dip into this thing? Carrie Lake still had the wherewithal about herself to cut a little thing for Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania and say, you got to vote for him. That's a lady. First off, that's 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 a lady. That's a man. That's a person. That, But that's class above it all. That's class. And yes, this is the plan B to Ron DeSantis, because I fear a lot of establishment money, whether or not DeSantis is soliciting it or not, a lot of establishment money is now coalescing behind DeSantis, and you all know the power of money and what that can do to people. You got people like Paul Ryan, you know, professional losers that are talking about, hey, we're not going to just anoint Trump here. We want to win this election. Well, who are you going to go with? Glenn Youngkin? I like Glenn Youngkin. He's not going to be president of the United States. They're, they're, they're trying to decapitate the one person that they know is close to Trump that made a deal with Trump to be his vice president. They're trying to upset that apple cart to upset the movement. They're, they don't give up. It's like a bad lunch, these rhino Republicans. They keep on coming back. Mm -hmm. And they have the money to do it. We that's why this election is so important to purify the Republican Party from these malcontents, self-serving malcontents on a lot of different scales. The grifters, not just rhinos, but there are some on the right that are grifters as well. Uh, libertarian loons, the rest. 
I want people in power that are going to be putting the interests of the American people first, helping people in this country, regardless of who you are or where you come from or who you sleep with or who you're married to or what color your skin is. I want your life to be better today than it was yesterday. And I want it to be better next year than it is this year. And I don't want phony, fake, self-serving, grifting politicians to mess that up with whatever kind of plans they think that they have. And, you know, I, I just don't trust a lot of this stuff. And I see it getting a little too close to DeSantis. And that's why I'm looking like, okay, what do we do in case that doesn't work? That doesn't mean Carrie Lake and Ron DeSantis have to be enemies. But what do we do if Ron DeSantis doesn't work? Well, Carrie Lake is what happens. Hopefully, Carrie Lake and Ron DeSantis can figure this out. Hopefully, Christy Nome is a part of this discussion. Hopefully, Tim Scott in South Carolina, Herschel Walker, all of these people that uh, what's the the the, the uh, Republican the Hispanic Republican Congressman Maria Flores in Texas, she needs to be a part of this conversation. This is a big tent party, a diverse, big tent conservative America first party that represents more of America today than it ever has. They need to be at the table because they represent us and they want to make America great again. Oh, I think we've talked as much as we can talk and analyze what we can uh, you will not be available election night. You will be out uh, celebrating the red wet, the red tsunami on the front lines. So well, I, what I can commit to you is maybe earlier in the day, because earlier in, where I'm going to be at, and we're not going to disclose that location. Right. Uh, earlier in the day for me will be later in the day for you. That's so, true. Maybe we can figure something out. I mean, when the polls close where you're at, that might be early enough in the day for me where we can check. Because here's what I think. On election night, you know, there's going to be some early things to watch. Not yeah. just for who wins or who loses, but like what's the trends going to be? And, you know, you're going to see races called in Kentucky and Indiana. There's going to be congressional seats there that obviously the Republicans are going to win. But how much are they winning them by? What are the margins? Because now it really is, this is the vote. Um, you know, you've got that New Hampshire Senate race. Typically, New Hampshire does a pretty good job. There's not a lot of people up, people up there. They're on the East Coast. You'll start to see that, uh, what is it, the first... Uh, or second congressional district in New Hampshire. That's going to be tight. Um, that could go either way. That Senate seat, you know, what are these margins like? There's two or three seats in Virginia, two, seven, and 10. I think 10 is the longer shot for Republicans. Uh, but certainly if you start to see, you know, big numbers for Republicans in those areas and some of these other, key, you, you know, that's going to be, 
early on in the evening or late afternoon, no matter where you're at, we can have that conversation. Yeah, I think when the polls start closing at 7, 7.30 on the East Coast, it, we could jump on about 8 o'clock maybe. And go, and, for, and go for a couple hours. Yeah. All right. So we yeah. will do that. And that, and that would might... put in, yeah, and that would put me where I'm going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah. By, so, by the end of that, we would know where a lot of these races are and what kind of night this is actually going to be. Now, we're not going to know the winner of some of these hotly contested gubernatorial elections. We may not even know that by the end of the evening. Or the next day, but we certainly will be able to tell if the Republicans have the majority in the House and roughly what that majority will be, what the Senate's looking like, maybe even who has the majority. I would say by 9 30, 10 o'clock Eastern time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. And then after that, it's all gravy. You know, you remember what we did in uh, 2016 when we did that marathon. And, I mean, we didn't know until like 1 o'clock in the morning, but we had a pretty good idea about what was happening in the country at, uh, you know, by 10 o'clock. You're right. <laughs> so, all right, brother, what's, what's the last word to get people out there to vote? Just look, partisanship aside, obviously, if you've listened to us, you know where we're coming from. But partisanship aside, it's your civic duty to vote. I understand if you choose not to exercise that duty and that right to vote. But you really should take the time to vote, to uh, mentally stimulate yourself, to get involved in the issues that are important for your community. Uh, it's very important. We talk about the pillars of our local communities that are under attack and that that really affects us as a nation and us as a people. Well, one of the ways you can begin to solve that and fix that is by voting and getting engaged civically at the local level uh, and taking a little bit of ownership into your community and pride in your community and where you come from. And I know there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that feel that way, but there's a lot of people that are also adrift and they need to hear that as well. And in additionally to that, I want to say to all the people that may be listening to this that are experiencing tough and difficult times, uh, whether personally or through family or friends or extended networks, um, you know, there are people out there, you don't even know it, who are praying for you. Do not discount the power of prayer. That will deliver you from your problems in some way, shape, or form at some time, it will help. And I hope that you can find uh, whatever peace it is you're looking for in your life and know that there are people out there that you will never meet and and never inter interact with that are generally praying for your well-being. God bless America. All right. Don't hang up. We're going to uh, go through this pledge from Ronald Reagan. I think it's a good note to end on. And for everybody, God bless America, pray for each other, and we'll see you next time. But listen to this little ditty by Ronald Reagan.
as to why for so many years we achieved so much. Prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its roll upon roll of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Delwood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Port Chop Hill, the Chelsea Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place known as Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Trentdown, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work. I will save. I will sacrifice. I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. Amen. Good night and God bless.